Welcome to the Intellectual Freedom Podcast. Here we analyze politics, culture, technology, and society at large through the lens of critical thinking and open-mindedness, not demagoguery and partisan hyperbole. I am Dr. David Hopkins, humanities professor, your host and guide. So without further delay, let's get started. And we're live. First off, I just want to say, you know, when I started this podcast, I didn't have any expectations on who would listen. During the pandemic, I was at home. I was delivering virtual lectures, watching way too many negative things going on and how people treat each other. Uh, There was so much heat and emotion and just very little critical thinking and open-mindedness. And I thought, you know, why not take some of the concepts that I try to infuse into the classroom and bring it to the public? It was really just an attempt to kind of slow people down mentally and intellectually in this hypersensitive state and to view and analyze life in the 21st century kind of beyond this superficial stuff that we're being bombarded with every day. The long form of podcasts are just great for this, as the constraints of other medias don't just don't allow the same type of flexibility with podcasts needing really low bandwidth and time constraints. I can make podcasts as long as short as I want to make them, you know. But in all honesty, I didn't know if anyone would listen, but to see people uh, downloading episodes from Hong Kong, New Zealand, Australia. Canada and Germany, and so far, at least over half the states in the United States, I have to admit, I've been kind of blown away by it all, really, so I just want to say thank you for that. But, okay, back to the topic, persuasion. We have all been there. We want to convince somebody of something. It's election season in America, so this seems to be at the forefront of, well, just about everything. So, Let's just say you garner up the courage to meet with that friend or that family member that you know thinks the opposite of your views on politics. And you have strong beliefs in your own candidate as well, and you you would like to convince them. So you decide to meet with them, oh, think about 45 minutes at a Starbucks cafe, and you're going to make your case, you're going to flip the vote of this person. And probably it all starts out all amicably for a few minutes, but then, you know, it easily can spiral down from there until you both leave a little bit uneasy, maybe upset, maybe even downright angry or frustrated. Why? You know, it's hard, but how do you become effective at the art of persuasion? There really are some simple things you can do. Notice I said simple. I didn't say easy, Uh, but we'll get into all that later. I want to start out, though, by looking at how not to persuade effectively. I did some in-depth research to find some insights from our fellow citizens and voter opinion online. Well, you know, not not really in-depth. It took about 15 to 20 minutes of time to pull down some quality insights of voters from both the liberal and the conservative persuasion. And here are some quality examples of debates. Start with Hannah32, who was commenting online on the mail-in voting debate, a very important one. 
uh, for this upcoming election due to COVID-19. She said, quote, your lack of knowledge and your ignorance about the issue is astounding. You are the idiot and too stupid to understand you are making a fool of yourself, end quote. So, gee, Hannah32, why don't you tell this person exactly how you feel about them? I noticed one thing missing, though, inside of your post. Uh, you didn't actually mention any commentary whatsoever about the mail-in voting debate. Uh, George M. then responded in kind, and he said, quote, Congrats, you win Stupid Comment of the Day Award. There is no evidence whatsoever of an effort to manufacture mail-in ballots, end quote. Well, amazing, George M. I had never heard of that award, the Stupid Comment of the Day Award. I've heard of the Emmys and the Oscars and the VMAs and the CMAs and all those, but I didn't realize you actually were doling out Stupid Comment of the Day Award. Interesting. I'll have to check into that more frequently. Uh, then ex-Fed Magaman said this on riots in cities, which is a big concern for many people. Quote, Citizenship doesn't mean anything if you are stupid enough to support today's Democrats, end quote. Wow, ex-Fed Magaman, uh, we should all, if I'm to assume your line of thinking here, that nobody should vote for the Democratic Party and everybody should v- vote for Republican, otherwise you're stupid. So if we only had one party ex-Fed Mega Man, uh, that would mean that we had the same type of system as, say, China and Cuba, because they also vote for their elected officials. It's just a little different in that if you vote the opposite, you probably be killed or thrown in jail. Uh, so basically, you're trying to devolve our system into one political party. Not sure that's a great idea. Uh, next one, Spankos. He was just in general pontificating about his understanding of who the Trump supporter is. And here is his astute commentary, quote, even base T rump, and I'm saying T rump because he spelled the word Trump, lowercase T, capital R, lowercase UMP. So T rump kind of like ass. And so that's kind of his little play on words to degrade more than just his words, but in the word Trump. So I'll read it like he put it. Even base T rump supporters are getting tired. They buy the swag, risk illness at T-Rump sanctioned gatherings, watch and read content inspiring them to act out in ways that draw contempt. They keep hoping the T-Rump magic will rub off, manifesting them with riches and immunity from realities that everyone else faces head on. It's tiring being in the not T-Rump camp, but it's a lot worse for T-Rumpers trying to keep up the act when the realization keeps nagging that their votes for T-Rump mean they'll have to maintain this heightened, edgy, angry state just to keep one selfish, destructive, rudderless, indictable man in leadership, end quote. Wow, that is a long set of commentary there, and It's interesting you mentioned the heightened, edgy, angry state of Trump voters, but it sure seems you're in a very heightened, edgy, angry state uh, based on your tirade here. Uh, Also, I did not realize that there was this magic thing that could rub off on Trump supporters that would manifest riches and immunity from reality. I would think many people would want that sort of a thing. And then finally, uh, his commentary that, 
Trump supporters are getting incredibly tired. And to that, I would say my next poster would have a little different perspective on that. As posted by Trump fan on another forum, quote, Donald Trump is a rock star. Think about the most popular rock bands of all time who have played to millions of people. Trump has an outreach into the billions. He will have an impact on this world forever if given a second term. Vote Trump 2020 and save the world, end quote. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a real tired Trump voter, and I had no clue Donald Trump is a true rock star that literally could save the planet Earth. Wow. Amazing. Another one. Lean on Trump supporters said this, quote, frankly, I would welcome hearing even one person who supports Trump who also sounds intelligent, just to know they exist. And at this stage, I think anyone who is undecided or on the fence has pretty weak judgment skills, end quote. Well, lean on Trump supporters, I would maybe consider the alternative that actually people who want to hear a debate since we haven't even had one yet, or maybe just want to consider more fully who they are putting in the office, might just want to remain undecided until that point comes when we need to decide. That actually might sound a little bit more intelligent than just jumping the gun and being done with it. Just a thought. And then I am not sure a Trump supporter on the future of, well, I guess the entire world. He said this, quote, indeed, if the bad guys win, the Republic is toast. There will be no global power for peace and freedom. There will be nowhere left to go. The policy acumen of California will go global in Western democracies. And when they start to implode, as usual, scapegoating will occur alongside war and ensuing famine. Prosperity is a fragile thing, and only fools think commies can stock the shelves. Vote Trump or vote for oppression and scarcity on a global scale. Wow, that is a Nostradamus-level prediction of the future. I had no idea whatsoever that voting Democrat would cause famine. Amazing. Uh, and then the last one, Dem 2020, said this, quote, Foxaganda, and I assume he means Fox News, has a galaxy of just incredibly horrible people who will do anything for Trump and his misfit followers, end quote. Well, Dem 2020, I don't know how horribly terrible all the people are at Fox, and I'm not quite sure how horribly nice and happy and loving the people are at CNN or MSNBC. That probably could be debated rather stringently. Uh, but, you know, and I suppose there's probably some misfit followers over on CNN, just as there may be some misfit followers watching Fox News. Pretty impressive. Uh, of course, you know, at the end of this, it's kind of funny and I do it kind of tongue in cheek. Uh, but I know none of these people. I don't know who they are. I don't know where they live. I don't know their family. And I don't know their personal situation. All I know is their argumentation that they try and put forth right here on these forums that I grabbed. Uh, since most people, most of the time, are good, honest, ethical, I I like to assume that these same these people are just the same. They probably were online. They maybe got off watching some cable news 
Uh, I don't know what, but they got all fired up. They got all worked up. And, you know, they started going off. When we read these outside of just scrolling them, they really do sound even more ridiculous. And I always marvel at that online persona of so many versus the actual persona. And I would love it as an experiment to take all of these people on both sides of the aisle, put them in a room together and see what that interaction would look like. I would like to think it would be completely different. Uh, But, you know, the talk of anger uh, and how that impacts our ability to think, that's not the topic uh, for today. Maybe some other day we need to I need to spend some time and actually, uh, you know, put forth a, a podcast on that. But the focus today is how we can hold coherent meaningful conversations how how we how the brain processes information and how people actually change their mind on issues and topics here's some breaking news mocking somebody else or calling the other side names will fail 100% of the time anger won't work ever so posting angry posts mocking posts snide comments or funny memes to deride someone in their position you don't agree with will guarantee that you won't even get heard. Sure, I know some of the postings are just, oh, this one will get the other side and you throw it out there and you're looking for approval. You're looking for likes. You're looking for those comments from people who think like you, like, yeah, right on. That's you told them the way you need to tell them. But really, what's the point in that? If you step back from it and think about it, if you want to truly and honestly influence people who don't agree with you and you want to consider your side and potentially convince them to change, this is a much, much more nuanced and it's a difficult conversation and it warrants discussion. It's actually a very serious conversation as so many of those online comments that I used as examples are are participating in back and forth, angry, mocking, snide comments. It just drives wedges deeper and deeper between the two sides. I mean, you may have even experienced this personally where you get unfriended on Facebook or you won't talk to somebody because of this wedge that has been driven really needlessly between two people that used to get along. You know, most of America agrees we are way too divided in this country. So why participate in that process? I know the political candidates in both parties, they would love us to continue the divide more more cleanly into an us versus them camp. But last time I checked, we're all Americans. It's just a thought to consider. Stop participating in the antagonism, and you may be stunned. Others will stop too, or at least slow down. If they're so hardcore, let's not hope for a miracle, but let's hope for just a moderation of tone and language. Even that would be very helpful for us in our world today. So let's look at your personality. You know, your personality is defined as a characteristic set of your behaviors, your cognitions, your emotional patterns, and they develop from both biological and environmental factors. There really isn't agreed-upon definition of personality. Most of these theories 
on on personality they revolve around your motivation and your psychological interactions with your environment but in the end of the day none of that really matters your personality is who you are and it shapes all your thoughts and opinions that run through your brain every day Um, everything from very mundane perceptions about just basic things as well as really important things very significant to your life like your religious beliefs your political leanings your views on family, on having kids, on your career. I mean, it goes really, really deep. And nobody changes these things easily. This is an incredibly difficult task for you or any person to change the opinion of somebody else on something. There's, but And to do this, there's this thing. It's a psychological phenomena that occurs inside your brain. And it's called cognitive dissonance. This occurs when we're going through life and then something happens. And here's what's going on in your brain. Wait, whoa, I've seen, I've experienced, I felt something. It's contradictory to my old belief system, my ideas or my values. Something's wrong. What's going on? This new thing kind of sort of makes sense to me, but I just don't know exactly what it is. And this is cognitive dissonance. This is what's spinning in your brain. When you experience something that is contradictory to the way you used to think. And, you know, we typically experience this in multiple forms, physiological, psychological, intellectual stress. And it could be we get this cognitive dissonance when we hear something, when we see something, when we feel something, or even we experience something. Even when we read something that confronts our value system or or our opinion on something. And that discomfort is, wait a minute, was I wrong about this? Did I consider this thing properly? And that discomfort is just triggered by that contradiction. And your brain immediately wants to reduce that discomfort. It needs to consider the alternatives uh, and And so cognitive dissonance, many times, if you're in a formal debate in a college or a high school, if you can just get the other side to this spot where they're like, whoa, that really makes sense. I might be wrong. You've actually accomplished your goal. Imagine if you were talking, you're a Trump supporter and you're talking to someone who supports Biden. And during that conversation, that person literally goes deep enough that you're debating or you're you're trying to persuade and they say, wow, you know, really? That, that actually is very compelling. That's a pretty powerful spot when you can get there. Let me give you just a non-political example just to kind of show that this process is not simple, nor is it easy. So let's just take an atheist. An atheist is going through life. And life, for the most part, is good. It's not wonderful. It's not grand, but you know, they, life is going well. But then a series of events happen. This individual loses his job. His wife is suddenly killed in a car accident. And as this things happen, he's literally feeling his life crumbling around him. He's going through experiences that are calling into question his value system. And it appears to be mean, life is looking meaningless and empty and he's spiraling into depression. Then one night, one night he's flipping through the TV, 
station to station to station, and he hears he hears a pastor of a church preaching on TV, and he stops. It's like just something catches his attention. It's like, hmm, oh, well, I'll sit here and listen. I mean, he didn't get saved instantaneously, but he becomes curious, and he starts listening more and more. A few weeks later, he's getting more serious about it, He's like, I'm gonna go get me a Bible. I, you know what this guy, what this guy's saying. I need to make sure this is, this is real. I want to, I want to check it out for myself. Goes to the Bible, goes to the bookstore, uh, starts reading it. Eventually, after doing that for a while, even though he has much fear and not knowing what to expect, he shows up at a church on a Sunday to attend a service, and then eventually, over the span of a year or so, then he decides to dedicate his life to Christ. Now, this is just one situation that shows you how cognitive dissonance it can emerge, what our what we do and what our brain's doing as we go through it. And so the steps are pretty simple. There's four steps here. Number one, we hold a position that is true and valid in, in our own brains. And it's based on the entirety of life experiences which shaped your personality and your opinion. So whatever you hold a strong opinion on right now, that's been shaped over a long period of time. It didn't just emerge on the scene. And then the second thing happens. You experience or run across something that causes discomfort because it just simply doesn't mesh with your old belief system. It's that, whoa, wait a minute moment. What's going on here? This seems real and valid, but that's not the way I think. And then the third thing, your brain is going to seek out equilibrium from that dissonance. It needs to, it wants to resolve that discomfort. Take that example of the atheist who became Christian. He initially got some cognitive dissonance when he heard the preacher, but that wasn't good enough. He needed to continue to search out and find and seek. He did so by reading the Bible and eventually he showed up at an actual real church, checked it out, worked his way through it. And so that's your brain trying to resolve the issue. And then the fourth thing that can happen is the dissonance resolves with a new action behavior value system. In the example of the atheist, what did he do? He eventually gave himself his life to Christ. His value system was shattered from an atheist completely revolutionized and changed. But sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes your brain will seek out information. It'll it'll look for knowledge and values and opinions and try and figure it out. And it'll just say, nah, I mean, I can kind of get it, but no, I'm not switching my, my opinion. I'm staying the way I was. This is what you and I, and oh yeah, that hardcore Trump supporter or that hardcore progressive would have to do and go through to change their position. You yelling, name-calling, mocking, or sending them a meme isn't going to get it done. I guarantee you that. That isn't to say, though, that always it takes years or months to resolve cognitive dissonance. Sometimes the time span is short. Others it takes long. Each person in each situation is different. A political person could be swayed rather quickly to one side or the other if they don't have strongly embedded political opinions and values. But if you have someone who grew up a Democrat, has always voted Democrat, hangs around Democrats, uh, 
all of that and you try and think you're going to convince that person to switch in an afternoon over coffee, it's probably not going to happen. So this brings us to a really important question. How do we deploy rhetorical debate persuasion tactic tactics to influence or even convince other people? So let's talk about them. Oh, but oh, before I even go there, Unfortunately, there's still one more natural human tendency you have to understand, and it's something that you will run up against every time you try and convince somebody of something. And it's this thing that's called motivated reasoning. And so maybe the easiest way for me to explain this concept is just to give you an example. So let me give you a semi-satirical example of motivated reasoning. You know, those of you who know me uh, know I follow my sports teams rather passionately. And so here's the deal. One fact is true. Almost always my teams get the short end of the stick from referees. It is some sort of a cosmic curse. I've been known from time to time to yell rather loudly at the television when necessary. It is amazing to me how the referees almost always are making the wrong calls against my team while giving unfair advantage to the pathetic opponent we may be playing against. So I generally, I hate referees. They obviously always want the other team to win. I'm sure they're pretty much paid off. Uh, How they keep their jobs is really beyond me. However, you know, every once in a while, uh, on a few rare occasions during the game, amazingly, The referees will make the proper call that benefit my team. And at that point, I'll cheer them on, those referees that make really great decisions. Um, It's sad, though, why they want to cheat me most of the time. Then only a few moments of clarity and honesty occur during an entire game. Uh, These referees, they're probably bipolar or something. So there's kind of a semi-satirical example of motivated reasoning, whereby basically... Regardless of actual facts, my desires and hopes for a victory or fear of losing are clouding my judgments. I'm not looking at the referees rationally. I'm looking at them from a what's known as a fully biased perception. Thus, my perception of the referees is skewed. Sometimes I watch football, though, and let's say I, I don't really have a team that I'm rooting for. Maybe it's just a, a big, important game. Just two quality teams, and I just want to sit down and enjoy a football game, and I don't necessarily have a dog in the fight. And when I hear the home crowd react and boo an alleged bad call, I actually will kind of mock the home crowd with an, oh my goodness, those fans, how ridiculous and biased are they? That was absolutely the right call. All those fans are just blind. At that moment, I had no motivated reason to hold bias and could look at things openly. This is a major hurdle to overcome. This concept is dangerous, and it's something you need to know, because motivated reasoning, when you try and get someone to change their opinion, they're going to use their biases, and you have to have enough patience, enough understanding uh, to stay with it, because it takes a while to overcome that. So it's nice and well and good to think humans, they don't guard their positions with motivated reasoning. 
but we do. All of us do it. The fact is, sadly, most of the time, we as humans, we don't think real clearly and objectively. And most of the time, we lean on our own biases to justify our positions rather than evaluate our positions openly and honestly. It just is what it is. So is it a complete loss then to try to convert the Trump supporter to Biden or Biden supporter to Trump? No, no, it is not. But it requires certain principles of rhetoric and persuasion. So when I was putting together this podcast, I'm trying to think, what can I talk about here? Because there are literally hundreds of rhetorical strategies. And I kind of narrowed it down to three critical principles of persuasion. And I would dare say without these three principles, no matter how effective you may be with other argumentative or persuasive tactics, you probably will never be able to convince anyone of anything if you can't demonstrate and and show these three principles. So the first one is called the principle of reciprocity. People give back what they receive. I want to say that again. People will give back what they receive. If you come at someone with the attitude of, I'm going to convince that fool to switch their vote. I almost promise you that person will respond in kind with a statement like, you are an idiot if you think you are going to tell me or convince me who to vote for. The conversation will be over before it even began. Remember those forum posts. My guess is, with the strong feelings towards either Trump or Biden that each of those examples had, they would probably love to convince people to take their position. But the way they went about it, they never will. That principle of reciprocity says it isn't possible with that approach that they're taking. I guess you could even call this principle biblical. Or if you're not religious, you're an agnostic, or you're an atheist, call it spiritual, call it wisdom law, call it whatever you prefer to call it, but it's this, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The question is, can you and will you have the patience, the ability to control your emotions, to listen more than you talk, and attempt to understand the other side? You know, treat the other people party the same way that you would like to be treated. Because if you can't demonstrate this ability, I would recommend that you just avoid trying to persuade the person altogether, as you're going to get back exactly what you give. The conversation literally can't even start. So I would recommend don't even waste your time. The second principle is the principle of authority. People will generally listen to people who they deem are knowledgeable on the topic being discussed. Now, it's deeper than probably what you think. It's not just that you can line up 30 reasons to vote for Trump or 30 reasons to vote for for Biden, and that makes you an authority. See, if you support Trump or Biden, but you have never actually talked in detail without yelling or screaming or name calling on the topic, or you've never been able to read about the other side in detail or taken the time to understand the other side, 
you then lack credibility, knowledge, and authority. Rather, what happens is you're now coming across as pushing your agenda on the other person. In the case of a formal debate, for example, usually the debaters, they have to fully educate themselves on both sides of the argument. And oftentimes in formal debate or rhetoric, after one of the parties debates one side, they literally will make them flip flip it around and argue for the other side. Because if you haven't taken the time to fully understand the issue and the person completely, you're not an authority. You're a demagogue. Or you're just not listening except very superficial brushstrokes. And so if you don't have the time, the energy, the willingness to even consider the other side, I would recommend avoiding persuasion altogether. I really would. It's it's just going to degrade to anger. Because if you come at somebody, well, put it put put it in your shoes. You have your opinion. And somebody comes to you and says, okay, I'm going to convince you why you're wrong. Um, here's why you're wrong. Here's a list of 25 things Trump's accomplished in the last three and a half years. If you read this, you'll see exactly why you're wrong. And so thus, uh, being an authority of knowing everything that Trump did right... That means um, I'm an authority figure and you should just accept it and switch. If somebody did that to you, how likely are you going to accept them as an authority? You're not. You're just simply not going to. You're going you're gonna to view it as, oh, look at this person trying to bum rush their agenda on top of me. And they're just going to they're gonna blow you off and it's not going to work. The third principle is something called the liking principle. And salespeople are very attuned to this. People prefer to say yes to people they like. For someone to like you, there has to be some sort of a common ground where you're in agreement um, or similar in some way, shape, or form. Whether it's in politics, we're all American, or whether it's uh, you know about kids or school or career. Uh, you know, foreign policy. I, I don't know what it would be, depending on who you might be talking to. Uh, but for someone to trust and change their position from what you say, there has to be some sort of a likability factor. You know, salespeople, if you're really good at it, obviously you understand your product, the things you're going to sell, the features, the benefits. But at the same time, If it's any level of a detailed sale, you take the time to get to know them, to know what their what their wants, their needs, their concerns are and their positions are. Because once you know that you're armed with information that can help you convince them. So that liking principle is so important. Now, also, let me just say right here before I continue, it just annoys me to no end. It is preposterous. To think a Democrat wants to destroy the country they live in. Why would someone want to burn the boat they're riding in, in the middle of the ocean? And you may say, no, but I saw on Fox. Well, I mean, of course, there's always elements of radicalism. Antifa, they're not really interested in Joe Biden. They they want the country to change revolutionary ways, but... 
So we have to discard the most radical components of everything, but you can't lump, and I get it, the politicians want to lump everybody into the same boat that all Democrats are radicals that want to annihilate the entire country. That's not true. Likewise, it's preposterous to think a Trump supporter is a closed-minded bigot and racist because that person votes for Trump. I mean, millions of blacks, Hispanics, Asians voted for Trump. And to say a Trump supporter is a racist, um, saying that to a minority who votes for Trump, and you're basically saying a racist um, is voting against himself or herself. I mean, that is utterly and ridiculously preposterous. And just like on the right, they're trying to lump every Democrat that they're Antifa. What's the left want to do? They want to lump every Trump supporter like they're a racist, sexist, misogynist. It's just all preposterous. How could you ever establish basic trust and likability with such bombastic statements? Actually, you know, that's just a rhetorical question. You can't do it. Also, to create likability, you need to complement and you need to cooperate. Identify shared values and foster them first before you go into those disagreements. Because if you can set some level of common ground, you have the ability to get each side to listen to each other a little bit different because the relationship becomes more personal. So these principles are very simple. But as you know, and as you hear them, they're far from easy. And you can see they take something very few people have, which is patience, humility, uh, the, the principles of reciprocity, authority, and liking. All of them, they're very personal, and you have to foster trust. If you do not have the time, patience, desire, to convince by building trust and goodwill, I personally I would not engage in the political debate because you're not going to convince anybody. You're going to get angry, frustrated, and upset. Then that bombastic language, anger, venom gets spewed. Uh, so I would just, if you can't do it right, smile, change the topic, leave the room or the forum, discussion forum, and, and just not engage. You know, fire needs fuel to burn. And sometimes if you can't approach debate with the proper mindset, you will be so much better off. Just save the trouble, save the anger, save the stress, and just leave it alone. And I know there's so much anger. It's like, but I can't leave it alone. The world may literally end if I don't convince somebody. But you can't convince somebody if you can't hold a rational conversation. So, you know, at the end, I suppose, and I've talked a lot about online posting, I suppose there isn't anything wrong with posting positive messaging of, oh, I don't know, go team Trump, go team Biden, uh, we're winning, uh, those type of stuff. Uh, if you're simply doing it and you want to voice affirmations with people who believe the same way that you do. Uh, you know, even when I'm talking with people that I know have the same opinion, uh, you know, I can speak more openly and I can say things differently than 
if I was in an environment where there's people that don't agree with me, because if I want to show natural human empathy, I'm not going to get all up in their face and I'm not going to say things like that. So online, if you do want to post that, I suppose you can do it. However, there is always this danger in that type of messaging online because there's a there's a line where it borders and crosses into mocking or making fun of or minimizing or questioning the intellect of others. And when you're doing this, you're you're participating in digging a wedge in the very American culture you say you advocate. All that nasty mean rhetoric is destructive. It's not going to convince anyone. And it empowers more, those people empower to use even more abrasive language and the nastiness spirals and gets worse and worse. My guess in all this is the spin masters in the marketing department uh, for both Biden and Trump. Uh, when, when they see their supporters being loud, obnoxious, condescending, and that all in no matter what world will end if you don't vote this party or that party, they're probably sitting back in their office chairs smiling and smirking, saying, oh yeah, oh yeah, we got this one. Look at this awesome thread. Check out what was posted by Biden 2020 or MAGA 2020. You know, we all need to form our political opinions. It is an obligation as a citizen of our country to become educated citizens and to cast a vote. And part of that is understanding those who don't agree with us, to fully vetting opinions and, and policies and the way things are going to go. And if you arrive at your political uh, position and it's a strong one, there is nothing wrong with having convictions and passions and there's also nothing wrong with trying to convince other people, but do it the right way. Do it with the right mindset. Do it with the right empathy towards other people, but don't waste your time antagonizing the other side. It gets you nowhere and it gets the country nowhere either. Instead, you should try to create cognitive dissonance. You have to show an open-mindedness to listen, to understand, to empathize, respect other opinions. And if you do this, others may listen to you. Not everybody will, but others may listen to you. And if your argument is compelling enough, maybe they will switch their stance. You know, cognitive dissonance happens every day of the week all across this country. Millions of times in all types of topics, including politics, just approach other people the way you would like to be approached. And with that, just so simple things, those three principles, you will get miles ahead of anything you've ever tried to post online. Thank you for investing time listening to the podcast. I hope you found value. New episodes are released on Mondays and Wednesdays each week, so I hope you listen in again. You can always click the like and follow uh, button below, and when the next episode comes up, you'll be alerted. I hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week.